welcome everybody to this week's edition of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. This is Michael Corley, and Reed and I are going to do something a little bit different today. We're just going to riff with each other on what Reed has learned and what we've learned as we've interviewed, oh, good Lord, probably about 15 guests, 15, 16 guests over the last six plus months, in addition to my individual podcast. So we're just going to see where this goes, see what Reed has learned as a young person who's just really new into the nonprofit space and understanding board responsibilities, roles, and things like that. Reed, welcome. How are you doing today? Doing very well. And I think, yeah, we've had at least 16 guests on, I would say. This is going to be episode 31. So, um, yeah, we've had a lot of expertise on the show, a lot of um, opinions and a lot of different viewpoints that have come in and, uh, you know, shed some light on this mysterious landscape that is the nonprofit board world. So, well, I'm excited about this, and it's interesting. You, you call it mysterious. It probably is to you. You know, sometimes when you've you've been in it so long, like I have, and a number of our listeners, you forget things. And so this is going to be a good refresher course from one perspective, uh, but we'll also have an opportunity to learn things, I'm sure. So why don't we just jump right in and see where this goes? So Reed, well, I know you you you've listened, you've participated in these podcasts, you're learning about boards, you've gone to retreats. What is we'll start? What's your first observation about nonprofit? board leadership membership, if you will. So before we even hop into there, I think it might even be good to level set on what I originally would have thought being a board member was all about before I got involved in any of this. And you can go back and listen to the episode about the four misconceptions of being on a nonprofit board. And I think that those four misconceptions are pretty consistent with what I would imagine I believe before um, all of this. And so number one would probably be thinking that you have to be rich or wealthy or have a lot of expendable money to be able to give to the organization. Good point. I also probably would have thought that you would have had to be really influential. I probably would not have thought about how much time you have to give to the organization. Uh, sure. Thinking that you have to be less engaged. And lastly, probably think that it is only for a select group of people that, you know, it's those who are late in their career. It's those who are established and that young people or, um, that it, it, it isn't necessarily open to everybody. So those are all things that I probably would have thought beforehand. And all of those things have been, all of those myths have been busted, so to say. And, um, so yeah, now I'll go into I have about six points of things that I've learned. Um, so let me, let me jump in there for a second be, before you go into those. I think that's great observations. I'm a, I want to piggyback on that last one. And that's, you know, it, it's a, you know, old man sport, if you will, it's not for the young and it's really contrary. And, you know, if you remember, we did one podcast on why it's one of the best leadership development opportunities available is, is for a young person to become a member of a nonprofit board. And, and that may be easy to say, but in reality, it is possible to everybody. If, if they're, you know, if there's an interest, there is a way to work your way onto a nonprofit board. You want to be strategic, you want to be genuine, but certainly the opportunities available. So I'm glad you said that, Reed. So, all right. Yeah. Let's, and let's and to continue off of that, now that we're in this, I have, I am aware of younger people who are on boards or they're on mm -hmm. committees, you know, or they're involved in organizations in some way or another, um, being groomed, so to say, to be on the board one day. Um, so it is much more clear now that 
we've been in this world yeah. for, that I've been in this world for a little bit, um, that it is possible for, you know, young people and early professionals to, you know, step onto a board position and still provide some value. Yeah. And, and I get asked a lot, you know, I counsel young people who are interested in being on boards and they're worried about the time commitment and the impact of work. I say, no, look, your career comes first. You really do have to focus on that. If you're in your 20s, 30s, even into your 40s, that's really important. But you've got an opportunity to give back, to serve, to use this as leadership development. So serve on one board. Do not get on multiple boards. Go all in. Be effective on one board. I think Kathy Layton talked about it in one of our podcasts. Is go deep and be known as somebody who's a contributor and you know, uh, not a placeholder. And it will really transform your career and, and help your growth and then give you an opportunity to give back to your community. And yeah, seeing other people lead too. I think that just from me not even being on a board, but being in some of the meetings has been invaluable just to hear firsthand what some of these established leaders think about in this environment. So I think that that's invaluable too. Yeah, indeed. All right. So we, we deviated a little bit. That's, that's why we're riffing. Uh, which is, I guess, a, a new age term for just ad hoc, just going off the top of your head. But uh, let's jump right in. Uh, you said you had six. Let's start off with number one, and let's go from there. So my first major point thing that I've realized in starting this is that a good board member, a great board member, is an engaged board member. They give their talents, their treasures, and time, and they're a, a doer, a door opener, and a donor. And you well, know, good lord, you're just Mister Alliteration, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean we've had multiple guests well, yeah. say those those sayings and um it's it's a great way to picture what it is that a person can give and super memorable i didn't have to go back and listen to any podcast to remember that <laughs> very so, good <laughs> um i think that that really frames what it is to be a good board good and engaged board member well i think you're right i, I, I can't say it any better and i love the alliteration because it is memorable it, it it you know it reminds me and it lets people know it it, it is service. You will have to do something. You should, like I said, we said a few minutes ago, you don't just get on a board to get on a board. It's an opportunity to serve your community in one of those capacities that you just mentioned. Like it. Go ahead, Reed. The second item is that the best board meetings are those that tackle strategic problems. They start on time and end on time. They utilize a consent agenda. And just remembering that every board member on the board has something else that they could be doing and that you need to make those board meetings worth those individuals time. That's one of the best recruiting tools to get people on your board is to have effective board meetings. Nobody's going to want to come for a second term or, you know, go above and beyond if your meetings are already running an hour and a half late and they're already giving more time there. So I think that um, that could not be emphasized enough. And that's something that I never would have thought of beforehand, even knowing any of this, I just figure that I guess they're structured anyways, but actually having structure, starting on time, ending on time, using a consent agenda are all great things to do in order to have an effective board meeting. Absolutely. It's a sign of professionalism. It's a sign of respect for people's time. It's a sign of preparation that you start on time, end on time, and you have a very structured and focused meeting. If you want to recruit you the cream of the crop in your communities, you, you really do need to run a good board meeting. It's a shame there are so many that don't know how to run it. Go get some professional training coaching. Go learn how to run a board meeting. I tell you what, that is that is like the secret sauce. You will be a hero 
if like Reed said, you start on time and end on time, if you do nothing else, but that people will, will love you. Uh, but use it, use that time wisely for strategy and not to get into the weeds. That's what staff's for. And that comes, you know, mostly from our Brian Deming episode who said all of those things. And I think the key message from that episode is that your role as a board chair is facilitator. So if the meetings are not effective, the board chair needs to direct them in an effective way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not the CEO's responsibility. Although if you have a dynamic, a strong CEO who's running things, which is fine. Sometimes that is the model. It's not their job. It is the board chair's job. And so that's why it's critically important you get the right board chair in place. And that person is prepared, maybe even trained on how to do that. It's an important role. Yes, it is. And it's a, it's one of those things where you can learn good habits from the person prior to you, or you can learn bad habits from that person. So, um, oh, you know, very it's, good. You, I think as a board chair, you can switch things up and do things the way that you want to do them if you think that that's going to lead to more effective board meetings, more engaged board members, and a better overall organization. Sure. As long as you're focused on mission. Yeah. What's up next, Reed? A good board or organization will provide its board members with their expectations. This might include anything from participation level, you know, board meeting attendance, event attendance, donation frequency or amount if that's required by the organization, um, how many people they're expected to connect to the organization, and or if they're required to be on a committee. You know, Cheryl Taylor listed a ton of items that people should ask before joining a board. So you can kind of do the digging on you know, what the expectations are, but I think the best boards will provide that information without the person having to ask for it. Yeah, you want to make sure it's a cultural fit for you. And you're right, the expectations, you know, it, it's akin to, you know, in, uh, accepting a new job, a new position. You want to know what the expectations are. And just because these people are maybe pillars of the community and they come on, that you should not be intimidated by them. You they still need to go through an orientation process. The expectations need to be set because you want them to be successful. And also, you don't want chaos to be caused. Well, I tell you what, a lot, a lot of Board chaos read is caused by people just not understanding what the expectations are, are or work, the roles, the responsibilities. And it's really a shame because it becomes a big distraction, a big waste of time. People get frustrated. It permeates the organization. And it just doesn't need to be if you take the time to set the right expectations. And I guess even a part of that is understanding the roles and responsibilities of a board member. It, we've been in a number of meetings you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's a lot, but definitely a few where we're talking about programs and, you know, board members are giving their opinions on how best to do a program or, and we're just like, this is, we're thinking high level here. We are not getting in the weeds. That's the CEO's job. That's the employee's job. We need your oversight. And maybe at some point there's a place in time for your opinion on programs or how the best to do something, but it's not at a board meeting. It's not at a board retreat, I would assume. Now, you want to stay at the strategic level. And what I often see, and it, boy, nothing's more frustrating to a, a CEO and or executive directors when board members start calling staff and giving them instruction. That is a big no-no. Board members, if you're listening, do you, that is not your role. And I know it's tempting. You're accustomed to having things your way, and you're probably really good at it. But that undermines the CEO. It causes so much friction behind the scenes that you probably don't even know that I, I, please don't do that. Go straight through the CEO, the executive director, if you have 
you know, suggestions, uh, comments, uh, unless something's prearranged, boy, that becomes really, really dangerous. So moving on to the fourth point, and this is something that I, I might've thought about beforehand, but it's, I'll just go into it. So board members are, should and are expected to bring in donations, whether that's from their own pocket, not from their business, but from their own po pocket or through various connections that they have. And that's something that I think I knew ahead of time. But what's new is to me is the way in which they can do that. And it has been emphasized in many board meetings that we've been in that you don't have to be the one making the ask, but there should be a process in place that the board members are aware of. So when they are connecting someone, if they aren't going to make the ask, they can get that person, the potential donor to the right person. You know, are you connecting them with the CEO? Is there a VP of advancement? Is there a donor um, relations employee that they should be yeah. connected to? Um, so, yeah, you know, and the more I'm in this business, the more I just understand and appreciate the importance of, of board members, their primary job. Look, I know it's oversight. I know it's fiduciary. And I know it's all those things we say, and, and even I preach. But at the end of the day, what the CEO and executive director need, the organization needs, is you to bring in money. I mean, yes, expertise is important in certain areas, absolutely. But to to bring in Monday money either through your own pockets and your organization pockets, or even more importantly, to make introductions to potential donors and funders and relationships that can build and expand and grow. That is really an important role of a nonprofit board. I got nothing else on that, so I'll move on to my next um point, which would be something that I have, I was completely unaware that this even existed, and that is board committees, and that you can even have non-board members on board committees, and that is one of the best ways to recruit future board members, is to get them with that foot-in-the-door mentality. You can come on as a committee member. You're not committing to as much time, as much responsibility, but you can get familiar with the organization, and then Hopefully, one day down the road, you are willing to accept a board position, provide, you know, commit to a little bit more time, a um, little bit more responsibility, and be a future board member. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great avenue. If structured properly, committee, committee membership, non-board committee membership is a great opportunity for people to serve, provide input, don't have a lot of time. And if you're just testing out the organization, I really encourage everybody to do that. It makes a lot of sense. And I encourage nonprofits, and we're talking, you know, primarily agencies now, to establish committees in that regard. You know, the majority of a committee should be board members, as we heard uh, from um, Cliff uh, Walters last week, that, uh, or in a brief... You know, they will hear from Cliff Walters next week. Well, by the time this happens, they will have heard it, Right. This episode's going out first, so okay, folks. So, so this is why you let you, you let the the admin people I agree do what they do, and you shouldn't get out of your swim lanes. So I'm gonna get back into my swim lane now <laughs> and say, and say um, uh, that yeah, committee membership and majority board members though is is a great avenue. I'll be quiet now. Next topic. <laughs> All right, so this is another item that they will hear about with Cliff Walters, and that is that, um, well, first to preferences, I guess I kind of, before all of this working experience, I guess I kind of understood the relationship between the CEO and the board and that the board is the boss of the CEO, but 
without being in the meetings, like it's it's really difficult to understand that and every organization is different, but every board should be conducting a CEO evaluation on an annual basis for a few reasons, I think. And number one is if you have a high performing CEO, they want to know what they could be doing better and are doing well already. They want the feedback. They're high performers for a reason. And then two, if you maybe have a less than stellar CEO, you need to start giving them feedback. So if you do have to move on from them in the future, you, you've given them that opportunity. There's no, um, you know, random firings. There's no upset feelings. I would say like you cover your bases as a board by doing your duty to you know give feedback to the CEO and help them do a better job. Yeah. I think that's, you know, any high performer wants feedback, but it also, it engages the board. And if the board members understand they're going to have to assess the CEO, but you know, hopefully they'll pay a little bit more attention, be a little bit more engaged throughout the year. You know, nothing's worse than somebody going, ah, I don't know what that should score them, rate them. Well, come on, board member, that's your job. That's another responsibility. And, you know, disregarding that is an abdication and really doesn't, it doesn't help the organization. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. You know, this CEO has 15 bosses, essentially. That's, that's complex. That's probably, I mean, that, that's inherently problematic, uh, but it's what the structure, uh, the legal structure requires. And, you know, they want that feedback. They should be assessed. And you need to have that for continuity because the board chair is going to change in a year or two. And so if you want to, you, you need a historical documentation of the performance of the the CEO. So yes, absolutely, Reed, good point. We need to assess our CEOs. And I think that com the complexity of it is something that you're not aware of until you step into the environment. It's so like, does each board member have equal say in the CEO's evaluation, this, these are all things that I thought, like, does the board chair have ultimate say? Like, you, you know, do the, does the executive committee, you know, who has the most say and who's really the boss and all of these things are very ambiguous. It feels like unless there's a real mature organization with structure and processes or a kick butt CEO um, who really moves the needle. So, um those are all of my thoughts. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. It, it, it's kind of crazy you think about it. So I got 15 bosses, just using that number 15, primarily for, you know, well, agencies, community foundations, they may have a little bit more, uh, you know, various funders, whatnot, that and some of those bosses may only have been on there a year, others six years, some six months less interaction. And so, yeah, you do they have an executive committee that does a, you know, uh, a governance committee that might have some involvement in it. The chair, it's the chair has regular discussions with the CEO, certainly knows that person and their accomplishments the, the best. It's, you really want to have a defined process for all of this. It, it gives your CEO, your executive director, at least a fighting chance, right? A fighting chance to perform and know where he or she stands. Yeah. And I, yeah, I completely forgot about to you tenure length and if they've been on a committee beforehand they have even more experience with um the organization and the ceo has been there for x amount of time the board members have been there for different amounts of time and seen turnover and rode the waves of success or failure and it's yeah. it, it's it, a, <laughs> we have the whole episode about it's an it's an art and it definitely yeah, it, is a dance it's a it's a tango or Whatever which, which is why it's so important, Reed, 
that the board hire the right CEO and executive directors. The right expectations are in place on both sides, CEO and the board, the board governance, the board operations, should all the expectations have got to be clear because there's just too much room, as I said before, for chaos. Yeah. And to learn more about that, you can go listen to our episode with Charlie Murphy, who has been on a bunch of recruiting um, committees for yeah. new CEOs. And Good David Vick even talks about it from a hiring your first executive director CEO, what yeah. their main you know goals were for that individual. And um, defining that role is just as important in the nonprofit world as it is everywhere else. Oh yeah, absolutely, and, and arguably more for the reasons we we stated. It's it's a little bit different situation. I can't imagine in the in the for profit sector when I was president of a company having fifteen bosses. I, I just you, you, wow. I, yes, you might have a board, a private board, but boy, it's just I just can't even imagine. So it's it's certainly challenging for these folks. And then that just made me remember another another point. Like fifteen bosses that you don't work with every day who come in maybe once a month or you know if they're at the board chair you maybe talk to them once a week but 15 remote bosses basically who are different levels of engagement it's it's quite i can't i cannot imagine being the ceo of a nonprofit organization with all that no and think about it, in a diverse board which everybody aspires to but that creates wow inefficiencies Right from initially, I mean, mm -hmm. you're you're always seeking different new people that otherwise would not be in the same room together. So as a CEO, as a board chair, you really have to manage that, be intentional about it. There's beauty in that, and there's so many benefits, but it is inherently challenging, and you've got to be willing to accept that challenge. And uh, yeah, so it's a it, it's an interesting interesting dynamic. And it, just one more like layer on top of that. I, Maybe this isn't related, but the CEO or CEOs of nonprofits are often people who had a ton of success in the program area and yeah. are, maybe are not managers or leaders. And then they have all of this going on. And I think that's another reason why the board is so important because they probably are leaders of organizations and are able to help provide some some growth in that aspect of maybe a, a CEO executive director who has not led a whole organization before and who is coming from a programmatic aspect. Yeah, depending on the size of the organization, we see that a lot in the smaller ones. The larger ones, a little bit more professionalization. That's natural. Uh, it's not right or wrong. It's just the way it is. But your point, I think you made a point without knowing you made that point, that the board ought to look for opportunities to develop their executive directors or CEOs to carve out funds for professional and personal development. It happens in the for-profit sector. Because it can only make the that individual better, which can only make the organization better. I see so many non, but most don't because look, they're operating on limited funds. I get it, and they want to use their funds judiciously to 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 help the people they're or the animals they're trying to help. But it would be very strategic to say we're going to carve out X dollars every year for you know whatever a coach, go to development, leadership training, what whatever to help this person be more effective. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, and let's not also, do, God bless it, there are board members of people willing to serve because that's what makes this such an interesting and wonderful model and, and people taking the time. And, and when they come up, they, they don't know their role. You know, they don't know how they can contribute. They want to contribute. So it's important to to work with them to give them an opportunity to make a difference in the organization. Yes, you got to follow the right, you know, 
rules, regulations, whatnot, you know, processes, but it's when I come on, how can I contribute? How can I best contribute? What are the expectations of me? Yeah, definitely. And as we always say, there's no school to go to to learn how to be a nonprofit board member. So it's through trial and error, and hopefully you have more successes than failures, I would say. Yeah, there. Well, that's a good point. Good point. So, Reed, I know you went through your points. And through this discussion, is there anything else you've, you've thought about as it comes to serving on a nonprofit board? I guess I would just reiterate that it, although there's all this complexity and maybe it's not always fun to hear that, you know, you have to donate or you have to connect to an organization with people. Um, everybody who comes on says that they love it. Most people do it for more, are board members for more than one organization. And I think that, you know, some of these initial fears get, you grow out of once you realize that like you're doing it for the right reasons, hopefully you're doing it. You love the organization. So that's why you are willing to connect people to it. It's a great, you know, it's great for you. So it'll be great for other people. And, um, we haven't talked to anybody, but also it might be hard to get them to come on the podcast if, if for people who have said that it has not been worth their time, that they have not gotten as much out of it as they have put into it. So I think that that is just something that has stuck with me that everybody has, you know, recommended it and, um, you know, gets a lot of joy out of it. You know, I, and you're right about that. Maybe we do need to interview somebody, try to find somebody. Didn't I think it just what probably would be not a right fit for a board or frustration was with something. Um, you know, everybody that we've interviewed so far, now granted, we've interviewed them because they are at a certain level and they're, they've got tenure, but they're all successful outside of the nonprofit sector. All of them have been successful in other areas. They don't have to serve on boards. Even the executive directors or CEOs we've talked to, they could easily be in the for-profit sector. And, and they talk about that. Most of them started off in that space. And when you listen to them, there's just a passion. But, you know, I, I think with that, where I'm going with that is if you're a if you're a business person and you're busy, you're busy, 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 you think you don't have time, I think the development opportunity is, boy, certainly supersedes the the amount of time you put into it and it, your return would be greater than you think otherwise. I'm not, I'm not so sure I've seen anybody who's sat on a lot of boards who's not successful in their careers. Maybe that's a better way to put it. So there's got to be something there. I'm sure there's probably a study or something. I'm not going to conduct it, but um, I'm sure there's something there. Yeah. And I guess something else that has just popped into my mind is the difference between some of these for board members to be aware of the difference between larger boards and smaller boards, for, you know, more established organizations versus less established. Um, we've worked with both boards who need their board members to be active. They need, like, they only have six, seven people. And then we have boards with 50 people and who it's just, it's impossible to have them all be, you know, um, extremely engaged. So, and so people sit on boards for different reasons. And sometimes that reason is for your organization. And sometimes it's for your time, treasures, and talents. Sure. Well, hopefully every time it's for that time, treasures, and talents. And yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And it's just also maturation, the size of the board, you know, they're all, they're all volunteer boards. They're governance based boards or fundraising boards. It really becomes, that's why you ask so many questions, but before you join the board, understand what the role the roles and expectations are. So you're, yeah, very, very well stated, Reed. Anything else, Reed, before we wrap up today? That's everything from me. All right, that, that was a lot of fun. Riffing with Reed, as opposed to recapping with Reed, this was Riffing with Reed. How about that? Just keep <laughs> up with the new title. 
for this podcast. This is Michael Corley and Reed Corley on the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will I-501CU next week.